You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. All right, it's 2021. Happy New Year. And we all want a new year. Well, we're starting out this new year by concluding the book of Philippians with the theme of rejoicing, the joy that we find in Jesus Christ, and how God's timing is perfect. Here we are in a brand new year, a time of year when many people are trying to get their schedule organized, their budget organized, their health organized. Looking as far into the future as you possibly can and, and planning accordingly. The problem is, even if we intend well, we don't always plan well. And that's because life just doesn't go according to plan. Take 2020, for instance. A lot of stuff happened we didn't see coming. And we didn't have a plan for it. This is where the Apostle Paul is coming from when he writes the letter to the Philippians. Let me just remind you, the storyline of this book of the Bible is there was a church in the city of Philippi that was founded by a man named Paul. He ministered there for some years. It's a healthy, joyful, loving church. He's writing to them from another city, the city of Rome, about 800 miles away, the reason he's writing is because they're concerned about him and he wants them to know how he's doing. The circumstance is he's in jail. That's why they're concerned. He's been falsely arrested because he's telling people about Jesus. His reputation has been destroyed and he's awaiting trial, possible sentencing, possible death. And yet, he writes of how God has given joy to his heart. It's shocking that this would be the theme of Philippians. Here is a man who is poor, a man who is in prison, a man who doesn't have a wife and children to comfort him, a man who doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And despite all these circumstances, he experiences joy. It's joy in the Lord. Not joy in his circumstances, but joy in the Lord. 19 times in 104 verses, joy and rejoicing are mentioned. And today he's going to give us five things that if we put these into practice, will increase your joy. How do I know? Because joy came down with Jesus. Remember the words of the angel to the shepherds. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The good news of that great joy, well, that's Jesus Christ. And joy is still coming down through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. These five things will increase your joy Number one, love God with your mind this year. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's your uh, emotional life. And with all your soul, that's your spiritual life. And with all your strength, that's your physical life. And with all your mind, that's your mental life. 
In other words, Jesus Christ wants a relationship with every aspect of you. Here, Paul starts by saying life change begins in the mind. It's about having God thoughts. Here's how he says it. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You may already realize that your physical life and your mental life are pretty comparable. Your physical life is, to a large degree, determined by what you put in your body. Similarly, your mental life is, to a large degree, predicated on what thoughts you allow go through your mind. This is about focus and letting the Holy Spirit direct your thoughts along the line of these six categories that Paul just laid out for us. Let's take a look at each one briefly. So the first thing to think about is what is true. It's understanding reality so that we can live life as God intends. Let me give you an example. What if I said to you, I'm 25 years old? Is that true? You would say no. You would just look at me and say, no, that's not true. Had I said 35, maybe I could have gotten away with that. Reality is truth. The problem with truth in our day is that truth has been undercut and diluted. You can watch two news channels and come away with two completely different views of the fact. It's about controlling the narrative. We can do the same thing in our lives. We can control the narrative rather than telling the truth. And the ultimate standard of truth is the Bible. The Word of God is truth. Let me tell you the truth. Jesus Christ is God. He was born a virgin. He lived life without sin. He died on a cross in your place for your sins. And he rose from the grave. Jesus Christ today is alive and well. He is high and exalted. He is seated on a throne. And when you die, you will stand before him. And if you belong to Jesus, you will go to heaven. If not, you will go to hell. And some people say, well, I don't agree with all that. That's the truth. It's not my truth. It's God's truth. Paul then goes on to say the second thing to think about is that which is noble. That which is worthy of honor. And the reason why this is important today is because we so tolerate the things that God is intolerant of. And so we need to honor that which is honorable. Because ultimately, if we don't, if we honor those things that are dishonorable, we end up in a culture of confusion that leads to death. And, and by the way, if you want to be honored yourself, then live in such a way that is honorable. The third thing he says is that which is right. That's what we're to think about. 
So think of righteous, godly, good in the eyes of the Lord. This is the opposite of selfishness. Selfishness is, what do I want? What do I think? How do I feel? The question is, what does God want? What does God think? Next, he mentions that which is pure. You would say innocent, clean. The opposite would be dirty or defiled. And oftentimes, that is a phrase that's used in the Bible to refer to sexuality. That if all you're thinking about is corrupted thoughts and dirty concepts, then ultimately you won't be able to focus and be fixated on that which is pure. He also then tells us to think about that which is lovely, pleasurable, enjoyable, just for its own sake. This is where we're reminded that we have a creator who gave us things of beauty to enjoy. And then number six, Paul says, think about those things that are admirable that have a good character, that are worthy of imitation. So you take people as examples that are commendable and you point people and say, here's a pattern to follow. Think of it as reinforcing good behavior. Now think with me about those six areas that Paul has just mentioned and how our media and social media do compared to that. For the most part, they're the opposites of those six. That's why it's so important to start your day with Jesus and ask him to filter through all that you're going to see and hear throughout your day so that you can have your mind focused on God. Number two, Paul says, is to love God with your obedience this year. He continues, whatever you have or received, or heard from me, or seen in me. This is about leadership. Paul is saying, live in such a way that others will follow because you're following Christ. Of course, none of us do this perfectly. Paul himself didn't do things perfectly. But we want to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. Here's the key. He says, put it in practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Notice that Paul connects having peace with putting God's word into practice. So it's not just what you believe, it's what you do. It's not just what you believe, it's how you behave. You know, our world doesn't lack information. Our world lacks wisdom and obedience. You can read the Bible for information, but that's not the full picture of the Bible. The Bible wasn't written just for information. It was written for transformation. So the goal of the Bible isn't so that you pass a test. The goal is that you become more like Jesus. If you haven't done this before, I invite you to start this new year with a daily reading of Scripture so that you can get into God's word and then ultimately put it into practice. You know, a lot of crises and emergencies can be diverted. Now, they will still come into your life. But there are a lot of things that can be avoided by simply maintaining a relationship with God. Think in these terms. 
What is it that God has told you? What is it that God has instructed you? What is it that God has called you into and yet you haven't enacted yet? Take the next step and act in obedience. Number three, love God with your contentment this year. Paul says, I rejoiced greatly. Here's that phrasing rejoicing again. Not in his circumstances. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. This is the secret to Christian happiness. That there is an inexhaustible source of joy in the Lord. And Paul, though he's in dire circumstances, he knows he's in the presence of God. And he knows that being in the presence of God is bigger than being in the presence of suffering or persecution or opposition. And he rejoiced in the Lord. Let me remind you that ultimate joy does not come in people and things. Joy comes from the Lord. Some of you thought, well, you know, as soon as we were to get married, as soon as we were to have kids, as soon as we got that house, as soon as we got that car, then I'd be able to have joy. Well, all of us who have been there would come back and say, yeah, those things are great. Every single one of them is a lot of work and costs a lot of money. Ultimately, if your joy is in the Lord, then you can enjoy the people and the things that God has given you. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. They had been faithful, generous ministry partners. He's far away from them. But he goes on to say, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. There was no online support system where you could shout out encouragement, give financial aid. There were no GoFundMe pages. So what they did was they took up a special offering in Philippi. And they handed it to a man named Epaphroditus who took that 800-mile journey to get it to Paul. And he goes on to say, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This is a great secret to joy. And let me say it this way. What God creates, Satan counterfeits. God created us to be content. Satan counterfeits that with coveting. That's why it's one of the Ten Commandments. Ultimately, coveting is demonic. How do I know? Because Satan and the demons were not content to not be God. Every day, you make a choice to either bring the kingdom of God down into your life or pull up the culture of this world into your life. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I mean, think about Paul's circumstances, how low some of his moments were, homeless, the beatings, shipwrecked, riots, prison, left for dead, stoned. He had some rough days. He says, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here comes the secret, and it's one of the great lines of the Bible. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, don't misunderstand this. It doesn't mean we must always win. We will always come up on top. We will always overcome our circumstances in the way that we see. I mean, look, Paul is in jail. He's poor. What he's saying is that whatever state you find yourself in, if you are doing God's will and you belong to Jesus, he will sustain you. Number four, love God with your partnership this year. He writes, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. So we don't say things like, well, that's your problem. It's your burden, you will have to bear it. We say, I'm here to help love and serve you as God helps, loves, serves me. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me, partnered with me, in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Remember, by sheer number of books written, Paul writes almost half of the New Testament. That means all of these churches that he helped to, to get started, Galatia, Thessalonica, Ephesus, many more, none of them partnered with him. It's, it's kind of strange, amazing, really. He brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. These churches exist because of the word of God, and yet none of them partnered except the Philippians. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. What he's saying is vision requires provision. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. This last phrase has Old Testament background written all over it. Let me say this. Do you know in the Old Testament, no one came to worship empty-handed. You either brought a sacrifice or a tithe, you know, 10% of what you had, what God had given you, or an offering, which is a gift, a financial gift over and above the tithe to some special need. What Paul is saying is that they've been doing their tithes and their offerings, and ultimately it's an act of worship to participate and partner in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And my God will meet all your needs. Listen, he doesn't say greed. 
God will meet your need, not your greed. There's a difference. Some of you are disappointed in God because he hasn't given you all that you've wanted. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me go back and pick up this whole partnership idea. Think in business terms. The difference between a partner and a customer. A partner is invested in the business with you. Wants the best for you. Will do what it takes to help you get your best. A customer comes in only to pick out what they want or to get what they need. Here's how it works in the church. Christians should be partners. Non-Christians should be customers. We don't make the non-Christians pay for our building or pay our salaries or pay for the website or pay for the Bibles we give away. God's people do that. And let me tell you, this is weighed heavily on the session's heart. Back in May, when the PPP loans were first made available to small businesses and churches, we were one of thousands of churches across the country that applied for and actually proved for a loan. Our portion was just over $46,000. That money has sat in our bank account untouched ever since. In any time over the course of 2020, when we have given an income and expense report, it's never included that loan. In other words, all that we have shown as income is what God has placed in your hearts to give. Receiving that loan has never set well. And tomorrow night at our session meeting, we are finalizing plans to give it back. That being said, and I think it needed to be shared. Ultimately, when a Christian thinks like a customer instead of a partner, that's when death starts the process within a church. Because if Christians don't have a heart for non-Christians, then the non-Christians won't have anyone investing in them with the gospel. Let me say this. If you're a Christian... God wants you to be a partner with him in his kingdom through his church and not a customer. If you're a Christian, you're a partner in this ministry of Jesus Christ. You're a partner in the kingdom of God. What Paul is talking about here is that the gospel, for it to go through you out to others, you need to be a partner with us in prayer, in finances, in doing ministry with us. Let me remind you of our area's population explosion that's about to take place. Within a five-mile radius of our church, what I am aware of, which means there could be more than this, but what I'm aware of right now are eight subdivisions either started or being planned over the next two years. Each one with anywhere from 100 to 350 homes per community. How many thousands of people is that 
within a short drive. So here's my stewardship plug for the week. We need you to get involved. We need you to invest. There are going to be people moving into our area that are already Christians who need a church family. And there are going to be people moving into our area who don't know Jesus and who need a place to come and meet our God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul is going to close with this. Number five, love God with your words this year. Here's how he does it. He says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. We're here. We're family. We love you. We are building relationships. We open the Bible to learn. We open our lives to love so that lives and eternities are changed. He says, all God's people here send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Now, this is incredible because that could mean both those who are blood relatives of the emperor as well as those who are slaves in his service. And yet they're all believers. So don't overlook anyone. No one is beyond the grace of God. Paul, who wrote this, first met Jesus. Do you remember what he was like? He was a religious zealot. He was a murdering terrorist. And he's saying that there are people who work for a godless government who love Jesus. He's saying leave room for the grace of God and see what he does. And then the last line in the book of Philippians, Paul writes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit Amen. What we all need is grace. And what God gives is grace. And God's grace is sufficient for your life. God's grace is sufficient for this new year. And God's grace never ends. So here's what Paul leaves us with. Your words are either lifting a burden and building someone up or they're tearing someone down. Here's how you know the difference. He says, you are in Christ Jesus. Look, I don't know how anyone lives without Jesus. I don't know how anyone has hope without Jesus. I don't know how anyone has joy without Jesus. I don't know how anyone doesn't just give up without Jesus. He says, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are right now in God's sight one of his people. And he hasn't just made you better. He's made you new. This means that God doesn't see you as you once were or even as you are today. God sees you as when he's finished with you. What God sees you right now is someone who is forgiven, reconciled, and risen with Jesus Christ. And all of that, he has planned for your life. As I'm about to pray, I want to invite you to take a few moments and just be with God. 
Consecrate your life to him anew as we start this new year. That you're trusting him, that his grace is going to be sufficient. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Then in a world of speculation, we have revelation. In a world filled with lies, we have the truth of your word. In a world that has lost its mind, we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And God, I pray blessing and peace and hope and joy and Jesus over these people. And I thank you that what you have done cannot be undone. And one day we will see you face to face and enjoy your presence forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.